0: 847
1: is 366 and 7. Hello, and welcome to A Score to Settle, a podcast about movie and TV music. I'm your host, Brian McVicker. Each episode, I focus on music composed for film and television, whether through analyzing a specific score, taking a deep dive into a particular composer's work, or by way of interviews with guests, both those in the industry and also fellow fans. In this episode, I'm continuing my deep dive into music from the popular action film series, Lethal Weapon, composed by Michael Kamen, Eric Clapton, and David Sanborn which had four installments released between the years 1987 and 1998. In the previous episode, I focused on the music for Lethal Weapon 1 and 2, from 87 and 89 respectively, identifying the recurring themes and motifs, how these are applied to specific characters, such as Roger Murtaugh, played by Danny Glover, and Martin Riggs, played by Mel Gibson, and expressed by specific instruments. Such as Sanborn's saxophone and Clapton's blues guitar. I made the comparison of this compositional approach to the famed 1936 concert work, Peter and the Wolf, composed by Sergei Prokofiev, and also put this music in context of scores for uh, previous cop and crime movie thrillers throughout the decades. Right here at the outset, I want to thank the crew uh, over at La La Land Records for their wonderfully um, um, expertly produced and exhaustively complete CD box set of music from the Lethal Weapon series, which was released several years ago. I don't think I'd be able to do these episodes without this box set especially since Lethal Weapon 4 in particular never had an official soundtrack album released back in 1998. So, rather than have that previous episode of the podcast run a bit too long, I had decided to end it with Lethal Weapon 2, specifically with one of its pop songs, Cheer Down by George Harrison and Tom Petty, heard over the end credits. I had noted at the time how the inclusion of Eric Clapton and David Sanborn as featured soloists within the score helped form a more seamless transition from score into pop and rock songs heard in the series. This type of synergy between score and song continued into 1992's Lethal Weapon 3, and even deepened its connection by the fact that the title song, called It's Probably Me, was a collaboration between pop superstar Sting and Eric Clapton and Michael Kamen. Eric Clapton worked hard to convince his friend Sting, formerly of the band The Police, to join the composing gang and contribute a tune to this second sequel. As I mentioned, Clapton and Kamen co-wrote the title song, which is really based around the existing theme from L. Gibson's character, Martin Riggs, that melancholy, melodic line that descends in two-note groups. According to the marvelous liner notes by Jeff Bond, Uh, that are included in the CD box set by uh, La La Land Records, Sting was hesitant over what he could offer musically on an action series such as Lethal Weapon. He felt that the song title, It's Probably Me, would be the most likely way that tough characters such as Merton Riggs would express any sense of attachment to the other. And in an imaginative change-up from the previous two films, Lethal Weapon 3 opens with this song accompanying a lengthy title sequence, similar to what you might see in a James Bond film, a sequence which follows the spread of fire across the screen, sort of anticipating the climactic uh, conflagration of the movie. Here is that title song from Lethal Weapon 3, It's Probably Me, by Sting, Eric Clapton, and Michael Kamen.
2: Turn cold And the stars look down And you'd hug yourself On the cold, cold ground You'd wake the morning In a stranger's coat That no one would you see You'd ask yourself Who'd watch for me My only friend Who could it be that I'm feeling sure some would say, I should let you go your way, you only make me cry. But if there's one guy, just one guy, who laid down his life for you and I, I hate to say it, I hate to say it, but it's probably.
1: In addition, Eric Clapton collaborated with another pop superstar for a second tune for the movie, featured in the end credits. This would be the song called Runaway Train, which has Elton John joining Clapton in a duet. That same summer as when Lethal Weapon 3 was released (1992), Clapton headlined World Tour uh, through Europe and the United States, 72 concert dates, with uh, Elton John accompanying him, allowing them to perform this song together in many live performances. Here is part of that second pop hit to be featured in Lethal Weapon 3, Runaway Train by Eric Clapton and Elton John. That was the song Runaway Train by Eric Clapton and Elton John from Lethal Weapon 3. Now, in part one, I provided some context for this series of scores by presenting music from police and detective movies of the past, noting recurring instrumentation one might hear, such as a solo trumpet or solo saxophone, or recurring moods, often bluesy and jazzy. Here in part two, For context, I want to take a moment to point out what else was Michael Kamen composing around the same time as The Lethal Weapon scores. I mentioned before how Kamen himself was surprised that he became one of the top go-to composers for action movies after 1987's Lethal Weapon, especially since he'd initially resisted the offer. In fact, in an interview uh, with Rudy Kopeck in issue number 73 of Soundtrack Magazine, Michael came and said, quote, Movies are only one form of music making, and they're an important form for me. Obviously, my reputation has been secured in movies, but it's been secured really in terms of making comic books about guns, Lethal Weapon, and Die Hard. I wasn't allowed to play with guns as a kid. I wasn't allowed to read comic books. So to make my reputation on comic books about guns is a bit dastardly, unquote. Michael Kamen's and Eric Clapton's music for the 1985 BBC TV series Edge of Darkness is what brought Kamen to the attention of editor Stuart Baird and eventually Lethal Weapon director Richard Donner. I want to present an example of the theme from Edge of Darkness so you can get a sense of how its modern edge Um, appealed to the filmmakers. So here's a bit of the theme from that 1985 BBC TV series, Edge of Darkness, by Michael Kamen and Eric Clapton. That was a portion of the theme for Edge of Darkness from 1985, the project which had the Lethal Weapon filmmakers seeking out Michael Kamen for the job of scoring their 1987 action thriller. His thematically driven, colorful, and exciting music for Lethal Weapon really put Kamen on the scoring map, uh, leading him to knocking it out of the park again the following year with 1988's Die Hard, directed by John McTiernan. Soon after, came in style of bombastic orchestral acrobatics, set a new template for action pictures, a sound which persisted uh, throughout the late 1980s and most of the 90s, at least until Hans Zimmer's heavy synth and percussion approach took the reins of the genre later that decade. So following on Lethal Weapon in 1987 and Die Hard in 1988, In quick succession, Michael Kamen was called upon to compose for a slew of high-profile action movies, such as Action Jackson, Roadhouse, the James Bond film License to Kill in 1989, Die Hard 2, Hudson Hawk, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, The Last Boy Scout, Shining Through, The Three Musketeers, The Last Action Hero, and Die Hard with a Vengeance. After the latter picture in 1995, there was a break for about three years for him, and then Kamen's return for Lethal Weapon 4 in 1998 was effectively the cap on his run in the action genre. What's wonderful about Michael Kamen's music for this genre is that throughout them all, you can hear his infectious, boisterous personality, his sense of humor, and his sly wink at the collective lunacy of these movies. For example, there are the uh, often noted sly references to uh, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony in Cayman's score for the original Die Hard, along with quoting the standards Winter Wonderland and Singing in the Rain. In another humorous example, in 1990's Die Hard 2, during the early baggage fight sequence, Bruce Willis, starring as hero John McClane, hops on a bicycle to take down a terrorist. And in those brief seconds where he approaches the camera on the bike, Kamen quotes the Wicked Witch's theme uh, from Wizard of Oz, uh, heard on muted trumpets. Alongside the cheeky musical jokes in these action genre scores by Cayman, you'll also hear his trademark brassy, swirling, balletic orchestral showpieces on display, such as in the cue Fight on the Wing from uh, the aforementioned Die Hard 2. Uh, it's a cue which compares wonderfully to Cayman's own breathless Hollywood Boulevard chase cue from the first Lethal Weapon. Here's a portion of that cue Fight on the Wing from Die Hard 2. Was a portion of the Q Fight on the Wing from 1990's Die Hard 2, uh, another example of Michael Kamen's action spectacular scores from around the same time that he was composing music for the Lethal Weapon series. 1991's Hudson Hawk, his third time scoring a Bruce Willis flick, is another example of Michael Kamen not only bringing in his furious orchestral style, but also satiric quotes of the cat's clarinet theme from Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf concert work, which I mentioned at the top of the episode, and also the Adams Family television theme, such as in this cue called Ig and Ook from Hudson Hawk. <laughs> I've often considered Kamen sort of a mischievous musical satirist for cinema, Uh, similar to how the musical satirist and comedian Peter Schickel created the fictional composer persona PDQ Bach uh, to release humorous concert works that would quote from the great classical masters. Kamen would certainly add weight and drama to any movie through his music, But in the action genre, he seemed to enjoy subtly acknowledging the more cartoonish elements. Uh, His uh, Hudson Hawk score um, that I was just playing a little bit of also features a wonderfully bright major key theme uh, in a cue called The Gold Room that almost looks forward to his big main theme for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves from that same year. Here's a little bit of that cue, The Gold Room from Hudson Hawk. I was a portion of the cue the gold room from 1991's hudson hawk which brings me to the hugely popular hit robin hood prince of thieves starring kevin costner a project from that same year as hudson hawk 1991 and a real career peak for cayman as it not only allowed him the opportunity for an old-fashioned sweeping broadly melodic score but also uh, to craft another pop song hit this time with the song called Everything I Do, I Do It For You. The song is based on his love theme for the film and was a collaboration with singer Brian Adams. The song was a massive success, uh, reaching the number one position on music charts of the day in at least 16 countries, and was nominated for Best Original Song uh, at the 1992 Academy Awards. It's unfortunate that Cayman's score didn't garner the same attention at that year's Oscars, as the score is a real winner uh, from top to bottom. And his bold, brassy clarion call and main theme for Robin Hood is rightfully one of his most popular tunes. Uh, In fact, it actually was used as the logo music for um, Morgan Creek Productions, uh, if I recall for a time. So here is a sample of Michael Kamen's main theme from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves from 1991. This same musical model was followed two years later for 1993's The Three Musketeers, starring Charlie Sheen and Kiefer Sutherland, with Kamen composing another swashbuckling score, though it's more tinged with Baroque flourishes than Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, while he also worked again with Brian Adams on another pop song. And the pop song, as with Robin Hood, was drawn from this movie's main theme. The song was called All For Love, and its melody you can actually hear expressed in this cue from the Three Musketeers, Athos, Porthos, and Aramis. That was a portion of the queue Athos, Porthos, and Aramis from 1993's The Three Musketeers, composed by Michael Kamen. So these projects all provided Kamen a grand stage on which to unfurl his compositional gifts to large audiences worldwide. And seeing as how many of these movies topped their box offices each year respectively, uh, the audiences were quite large indeed. The charm, wit, and exuberance of his music helped these films become indelible and beloved, along with his ability to craft a great pop song every now and then. Okay, so I hope that detour provided a small sample of Kamen's concurrent contributions to the action genre in and around his Lethal Weapon scores. His music was quite the dominant voice during those years at the cinema. So, in circling back to the main topic of Lethal Weapon, and specifically Lethal Weapon 3, a score sandwiched between Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and The Three Musketeers, Michael Kamen maintained the style and flavor from the previous two. Lethal Weapon entries. So Lethal Weapon 3 still showcases his orchestral flourishes, boldly embellished by Clapton's acoustic and electric guitars and David Sanborn's saxophone, uh, representing the characters of Martin Riggs and Roger Murtaugh, respectively. The three of them take their individual themes through new permutations, uh, alongside Leo Getz's shrill, buzzing theme from Lethal Weapon 2 on Muted Trumpet. Now, Kamen bolstered the thematic catalog here with new themes for the film's bad cop villains and Rene Russo's tough internal affairs investigator, Lorna Cole. And there's also a new pounding action motif that crops up late in the movie. So let's introduce his new themes first. The villain here is a former cop turned bad named Jack Travis. He and his gang of of criminals are followed by uh, something more of a motif than a real developed theme. It's sort of a rumbling, shifty undercurrent on low-end piano, low woodwinds and strings and sort of these shuffling snare drums. So an example of which can be heard here in this cue, Concrete Death. So that was the cue Concrete Death from Lethal Weapon 3, showcasing Kamen's new thematic material for the villains of that picture. Meanwhile, Rene Russo's tough internal affairs officer uh, is involved in many of the major action sequences of the film, with two fight scenes in particular for which Kamen presented new thematic material for her. Now, This thematic material also includes Eric Clapton's grinding electric guitar, Uh, paired with some real fearless brass. And here is one such example. This is a cue called Lorna's First Fight. That was the cue Lorna's first fight uh, from Lethal Weapon 3, presenting some of Michael Kamen's new thematic material that uh, he was presenting there. Although, interestingly enough, you won't actually hear that cue in the film itself, as it's one of many scenes that wound up with cues from Lethal Weapon 2 tracked in instead. Uh, I found in revisiting the movie recently, I was reminded at how much of Kamen's original music for Lethal Weapon 3 was dropped and replaced with music from either Lethal Weapon 1 or 2. I don't think there's anything unsatisfying with what came in com- composed initially, um, but maybe director Richard Donner and his editors uh, felt that it didn't add enough punch, um, especially since they favored some of the same cues from Lethal Weapon 2 in multiple scenes, um, often the stilthouse fight cues uh, from earlier in Lethal Weapon 2. This is another reason uh, of many why the CD set from La La Land Records is such a treasure, since we can now hear all those original cues composed by Michael Kamen uh, before they were replaced. And in an amusing reversal though, there is an early chase scene in Lethal Weapon 3 involving an armored car that is scored with music that was intended but not heard in Lethal Weapon 2. So, most of the music for the opening Krugeran chase in the second film was dropped in favor of no music. But Michael Kamen obviously decided that it was too good to not be used, so he repurposed and re-recorded it for the chase scene opening the very next film. So here is part of that cue from Lethal Weapon 3, Armored Car Chase. So that was a portion of the cue, Armored Car Chase from Lethal Weapon 3. So while that cue is new to being heard within the series, as I mentioned, it wasn't actually a new composition as it had been intended for Lethal Weapon 2. But again, this is another example of how the music in Lethal Weapon 3, uh, the film itself, is more of a patchwork quilt than the previous two installments. Now, it doesn't affect the quality of the movie. It all still works well, and this third storyline Um, allows for a strong dramatic arc for Roger Murtaugh's character, uh, while Riggs gets more of the lighter comic scenes. In fact, in an understated scene uh, with Danny Glover's Roger Murtaugh and his on-screen son Nick, played by Damon Hines, Kamen really thoughtfully presents Roger's world-weary theme on strings, piano, and sax, accented by harp, in this cue called Shaving. Shaving was the cue called Shaving, uh, presenting a sensitive treatment of uh, Roger Murtaugh's theme. And so on the other side of the buddy cop coin, in Luther Weapon 3, Riggs's theme, uh, as I mentioned, winds up either presented in a comical fashion, as in the cue Man's Best Friend, underscoring a scene in which he tries to ease tensions with an aggressive guard dog. Or in a more sensitive romantic treatment, as he and Lorna Cole begrudgingly start falling for each other. think that those two cues actually demonstrate how flexible Riggs's theme is more than one might initially think, seeing as how it can work in a comic intent or romantic intent or something more soulful. So I mentioned earlier how the title sequence for Lethal Weapon 3 follows the spread of fire across the screen, prefiguring the climactic action of the movie, which occurs at an under-construction housing development, leading up to an into this sequence is Cayman's new action material for the movie, a pulse-pounding piece with these fortissimo crashes, interrupting a frantic staccato figure on piano and low brass. This material follows the action throughout the final reel from the subway gun battle into a chase and then into the nighttime torching of this housing construction site. Here it is featured in the queue called gun battle. That was the Cue Gun Battle from Lethal Weapon 3, showcasing Kayman's new action material for the movie's score. Now, unlike the pensive nature of the first Lethal Weapon ending with Riggs at the gravesite of his late wife, or Lethal Weapon 2 closing on a massively wounded Riggs being comforted by Roger, Lethal Weapon 3 wraps up in a relatively hopeful fashion, with Riggs committing to Lorna, uh, although she herself has been wounded. So we close with Clapton's acoustic improvisations on Riggs's theme, which ties in nicely with how the opening song, It's Probably Me, has been built upon this melody. As opposed to the two-to-three-year intermission between the previous films and the series, Lethal Weapon 4 was produced after a six-year gap, and in a relatively rapid fashion. Even though it was kind of a rush job, the production reunited most everyone in the cast and crew, including Kamen, Clapton, and Sanborn for the score. In addition, comedian Chris Rock joined in as Detective Lee Butters, and Chinese action movie star Jet Li was cast as the primary villain who proves to be a handful in hand-to-hand combat. There were several interviews with Michael Kamen around the time of the release of Lethal Weapon 4 in July of 1998, during which he shared some interesting comments that I wanted to share here. In one interview conducted in May '98 by Dan Goldwasser for Soundtrack.net, the question was asked about an album release of the score for Lethal Weapon 4 and whether the original Lethal Weapon soundtrack from 1987 would be reissued on CD. Kamen replied, quote, I don't think there's a genuine desire for the music from an action-adventure movie to fill your life in your hours of listening. However, the good news is, in late July, there will be a Best of Lethal Weapon CD which will have music from Lethal Weapon 1, 2, 3, and 4. There is not going to be a Lethal Weapon 4 soundtrack, per se, because we won't finish the score until about 10 minutes before the film comes out. So there is lead time you need. You can put a film out very quickly, but you can't put out a CD that fast. Unquote. Well, that best-of compilation CD never materialized, unfortunately, so fans were robbed of hearing any of his music from Lethal Weapon 4 on disc until the CD box set from La La Land Records a few years ago. Who knows what happened to it? Uh, But it's also fascinating how Kamen felt there wasn't an audience eager for his action-adventure scores on album, an assumption that was honestly kind of mistaken. So many of us longtime movie music fans uh, were always happy when his action music made it to album. Secondly, there was another interview with Michael Kamen that same year uh, by Rudy Koppel and published in Soundtrack Magazine Volume 17, Number 67. In it, Kamen was asked, after three previous Lethal Weapon movies, how much music did he write for the fourth installment? And came and answered, quote, I decided that Lethal Weapon 4 was my continued responsibility to keep writing 4 rather than just pick apart the score for 1, 2, and 3 and slip it in there somewhere. I recognized that my start in Hollywood came as a direct result of Lethal Weapon 1. And when I did Lethal Weapon 1, I cared very much about what I was doing. I wrote every note and was meticulous and very careful and I decided I'd better do the same thing for Lethal Weapon 4, unquote. I found this to be an intriguing statement in that Kamen took greater care with this score a bit more than the previous two, but not to be dismissive of them. This fourth installment did ultimately emerge as a wrap-up in terms of story and characters, a closing on several arcs, and transitions into marriage and children for others. Kamen also had already begun transitioning away from being the go-to composer for action movies, and Lethal Weapon 4 is effectively his last romp in the genre, essentially a, a button from where he began with Lethal Weapon in 1987. As a result, there is a boatload of stellar new material heard in the score, both melodic and textural. There are, of course, the requisite variations on core character themes, but without the prevalence of tracked cues from past scores being utilized, the new music here in Lethal Weapon 4 can more effectively bolster the story in action. And boy, is there a lot of action in this film, from freighters to freeways to foot chases. The opening nighttime shootout on an out-of-control freighter features another wonderfully acrobatic orchestral showpiece from Kamen displaying his new frantic scurrying motif. Uh, And it is heard in this cue here, uh, called Freighter. Um, And it is bookended by visits from his classic six-note danger motif and the brass fanfare from the first Lethal Weapon. So here's a portion of the Q Freighter from Lethal Weapon 4. Proceeding on from that initial presentation of a new action motif by Kamen in this score, and into more new thematic material, he continued following the aforementioned Peter and the Wolf concert classical model of assigning instruments to characters. Chris Rock's Detective Butters is assigned the harmonica. And you can hear it here as it sort of wheezes over a blues guitar and comedic string and woodwind pulses. That was the Q Butters intro from Lethal Weapon 4, presenting uh, the harmonica uh, that's been assigned to Chris Rock's Detective Butters character in the movie. As before, the villains also do receive their own sinister motif. Uh, this is a subtly threatening line pronounced by the double basses and augmented by Chinese percussion, fiddles, and the erhu, um, which uh, all of which an example can be heard in this cue called Hong with Money. So this is a cue from Lethal Weapon 4 that presents the new motif for the villains that are particular to this film in the series. So this is the cue Hong with Money from Lethal Weapon 4. So those particular textures um, that you heard there, kind of like the bass marimba logs on Lethal Weapon 2, characterizing the South African villains, are peppered throughout this score, um, including the exciting cue, Chinatown Chase, uh, which is also colored by uh, Eric Clapton's electric guitar as Riggs is in Hot Pursuit. Now, pay close attention to this cue, because you might recognize it. It's a variation on the music came and originally composed for Lorna Cole's first fight scene in Lethal Weapon 3, which I played earlier, and noted that it was dropped from that film. So, just like how the chase music dropped from the opening of Lethal Weapon 2, ended up premiering in Lethal Weapon 3, we have a fight cue intended for Lethal Weapon 3 that was cut and thus repurposed in the very next movie. So, here is the cue, Chinatown Chase from Lethal Weapon 4. just as a refresher in case you need it. Here's a little bit of that Lorna's first fight cue from Lethal Weapon 3 so you can sort of hear the similarities there in these two cues back to back. As a fascinating aside to this specific sequence, Michael Kamen composed an entirely different cue initially, one that was markedly different in tone, more a flurry of aggression and with these really wild piano runs, and electric bass instead of electric guitar. It's an amazing alternate uh, that no one would have heard if not for the work by La La Land Records on this CD set, and on reflection, in comparison. I think I can understand how the filmmakers might have requested a lighter approach from Kamen um, in terms of the cue that actually ended up as heard in the film. So this is the alternate version of Chinatown Chase from Lethal Weapon 4. So that was the alternate Chinatown chase cue from Lethal Weapon 4, and I think that was noted longtime L.A. Session player Mike Lang on piano there for those really wild uh, piano runs that you heard. So Cayman does continue to spin variations on the major recurring themes and motifs of the series, not just those for Riggs, Roger, and Leo, but also touching on the previous chase and villain motifs, such as the uh, Lethal Weapon 1 brass fanfare and even a bit of the action material introduced in Lethal Weapon 3, uh, it ends up being revisited here in the warehouse fight sequence. Um, But there's a real freshness in how it's all presented. The climactic, uh, very impressive acrobatic fisticuffs between Mel Gibson's Martin Riggs and Jet Li's villain Wa Sing Koo recalls the mano a mano sequence in the first and second films. Um, However, in this instance, Danny Glover's Roger Murtaugh joins the fracas. In Cayman's cues here, the clattering percussion uh, echoes what underscored the uh, Riggs vs. Mr. Joshua sequence in uh, the first Lethal Weapon. all before the orchestral drama returns uh, to assist Murtaugh in finding and rescuing Riggs from drowning, uh, accented by Clapton's lamenting guitar here um, in this cue Murtaugh to the rescue. Overall, I find there's a more expansive use of orchestra here than in this final score for the series, um, and it's a bit less of the showcase for raw solos by guitar and sax uh, as heard in the three previous scores. And all of this subtly softens the characters, um, along with story arcs that kind of advance into um, marriage and, and kids territory, uh, which can also soften the characters. For example, here is one of the closing cues of Lethal Weapon 4. It's a cue called Cemetery, and it features very lyrical moments for strings and piano, which honestly would have been out of place in any of the previous movies. Uh, so here's a portion of that cue, Cemetery. <laughs> That was the Cue Cemetery from Lethal Weapon 4, an example of more lyrical orchestral moments uh, that were broadening the scope of the series musically um, more than before. I also find it interesting, uh, I think there's less of David Sanborn's saxophone heard in this final score. Now, this could be due to just changing musical trends by 1998, or perhaps fewer occasions that this movie offered to feature that instrument. Uh, but it means that we don't often hear Roger's theme. Um, It really only appears in just a few cues, mainly the opening and the closing cues. Speaking of which, Michael Kamen's score is essentially bookended in a most surprising fashion. At least I find it surprising. It isn't any sort of moving recapitulation of Riggs and Roger's respective themes, but instead it's a callback to the rhythmic, comedically strutting pizzicato motif heard way back Early in Lethal Weapon 2, when Riggs is trying to escape the straitjacket. So for any fans who know that scene, um, he can dislocate his shoulder at will, and so he's able to kind of wiggle out of that straitjacket. But it's underscored by this uh, sort of comedic pizzicato motif. I didn't mention it in the last episode uh, when I covered Lethal Weapon 2, as I felt it made more sense to introduce it here when presenting music from Lethal Weapon 4 and tie it to the series wrap up. Um, but here, for you know, comparison, here is that motif as heard in Lethal Weapon 2 in the Q Rigg's shoulder. then, as Lethal Weapon 4 and the series overall exit the silver screen, with its main cast gathered in a maternity ward, came in circles back to this motif in a cue called Babies. And yes, you did hear the same rhythmic component in a more measured manner in the cue that introduced Detective Butters early on, so it unexpectedly is kind of threaded throughout this score, I think it might be evident of Kamen's sense of humor about the whole action film exercise. Maybe he was amused by the strange journey to domestication that our tough guy leads followed, and so hence he uh, wraps things up with this the comedic pizzicato motif. So following on from that final cue from Cayman, Lethal Weapon 4 runs its end credits against the classic rock tune, Why Can't We Be Friends? by the band War, Uh, all accompanied by these great behind-the-scenes pictures uh, from the production of uh, all the movies. It could be considered a cheeky way to bow out, uh, but it really works for this series. And so, as I noted earlier, with no original pop song to promote this time around, there wasn't any official soundtrack album released for Lethal Weapon 4, not even that best of compilation that came and had promised in several interviews. So while for many years it was a missing piece of the musical puzzle on album, now fans of Cayman and fans of the series overall are able to enjoy every bleat of David Sanborn's sax, every wail of Eric Clapton's guitar, and every brass attack composed by Kamen throughout all four movies. If I circle back to where I started the previous episode, I feel that in the larger context of scores for cop and detective thrillers throughout the years and action movies overall, the the music composed by Michael Kamen, Eric Clapton, and David Sanborn for the Lethal Weapon series stands out as especially memorable. Musically speaking, uh, it was an exciting canvas um, for what is essentially a concerto for guitar, saxophone, and orchestra. And this is an insight I think perhaps also made Uh, are reached by Kamen himself, as in 1990, he composed a work explicitly for the concert stage called Concerto for Saxophone, and David Sanborn uh, was featured. Kamen's classy style and approach wound up typifying a unique error in the action and cop genre, and it could even be considered probably the last time when the uh, fully acoustic orchestral score played such a large role in many of the major genre hits, at least before the wash of synths and drum loops uh, pretty much took over in the late 90s. His music for the equally popular and trendsetting Die Hard series is as spectacular and also helped solidify the full orchestral backing heard during this time for the genre. And those three scores from Cayman really deserve their own focused episode. But while John McClane was the very human protagonist leading that particular series, Cayman's music for Lethal Weapon, I think, more fully emphasized the humanity of its characters. Uh, speaking their struggles and triumphs through the orchestra and featured soloists. And, similar to how the disparate cops Roger Murtaugh and Martin Riggs formed an authentic connection to the level of considering each other family, the music for Lethal Weapon is also where the disparate genres of rock, blues, and classical found common ground on which to play harmoniously together. I want to thank everyone for listening today. I hope it was as fun for you as it was for me to continue this investigation into Music for the Lethal Weapon film series, listening for what makes it unique and memorable, and also to provide some context in this episode through other scores composed by Michael Kamen around the same time frame. I need to make a quick correction um, on an interviewer's name that I mentioned near the start of the episode. I had said Rudy Kopech instead of Rudy Koopel, Uh, So that's my fault in that uh, interview that I was quoting from Soundtrack Magazine. Otherwise, if there were any errors, certainly let me know in the most polite way possible. Music in this episode is from the following films. Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon 2, Lethal Weapon 3, and Lethal Weapon 4, composed by Michael Kamen, Eric Clapton, and David Sanborn. The song It's Probably Me by Sting, Eric Clapton, and Michael Kamen. Runaway Train by Elton John and Eric Clapton. And then Die Hard, Die Hard 2, Hudson Hawk, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, The Three Musketeers, and the Concerto for Saxophone, all composed by Michael Kamen. If you'd like to send any comments or questions, or corrections if I might have made an error, you can email the show at Podcast at gmail.com. Find the blog at a score I've got some old blog posts there from many years ago. On Facebook at facebook.com/score to settle, and on Twitter at score to settle pod. That's score number two settle pod. If you listen to the show by way of iTunes, feel free to leave a rating and a review. That's always appreciated. And the show is also available to listen to on Spotify.